The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. You know, for a society that claims to be so tolerant, I think most of us feel like people aren't very tolerant of us. It's unique. Everyone I ever meet seems to feel judged by someone else. Usually it's on social media, on some comment board, or, but, but oftentimes maybe even just in your peer group, the people that you interact with on a regular basis, meaning we claim to be very tolerant, and yet most people feel like somebody's pointing fingers at them, judging them, condemning them, and just waiting to cancel them. And, and so I think as a result, most of us go through life not only feeling judged, but like walking on eggshells. Like we're, we're, more, we're way more careful about maybe what we say or what we do or who we tell, how we believe or how we feel. Maybe some of you, you're like, nah, I just say it how it is. Yeah, and then as a result, you've noticed your peer group getting smaller and smaller, your friend group getting smaller and smaller. And then we go to the church and you're like, oh, there it is, right? Like, I mean, it, it, I've discovered this unique phenomenon. Everybody points fingers at the church saying, oh, the church is so judgmental and those Christians are so judgmental. And what I've probably seen far more is not the church being judgmental, but a lot of people judging the church. Now you can like, yeah, amen to that. All right. (laughs) I don't usually solicit that, but you know, it feels like that would be fitting, right? Like people pointing fingers and judging the church and saying things like, hey, you're not allowed to judge me. Keep your, keep your views to yourself. You're not allowed to tell me how you feel. In essence, hey, whatever you believe, you keep it in the small little pocket of your little private world while we trumpet whatever we believe anywhere and everywhere. All right, so you, you think, do you know where I'm going with this message? Because you think that I'm gonna get up here and rant about politics. I'm not. In fact, you know me. Probably very rarely is that ever where I'm going. But what I do want to do is this. So what does that do in relationships? where we, we feel like everyone around us is judging us and, you know, what fills, spills. And so when we feel judged, we tend to kind of go around judging everyone else because at least we're going to dish back a little bit of what we've been getting. I mean, if you're going to be hateful toward me, well, then the least I can do is return the favor. And so let me, let me walk you through at least uh, this series up to this point. Started out by talking about the fact that um, we become like what we love. And that, however, we have these disordered desires, meaning what we love isn't right. We, we love some things, we want to do some things that aren't best for us, and as a result, we become like the broken things we love. And then uh, last week, I talked about the fact that um, you and I, we, we sometimes, we step in it. And, and then it gets on us. And we start to smell like what we stepped in and we become the mess that we stepped in. In essence, we've given people some reasons. Maybe not as many reasons as they think, but we've given some people reasons to judge us. I mean, we've done enough, like if we're just brutally honest, we've done enough in our life that if people were judging us, they'd probably be right. I probably deserve at least some of what people have thrown at me. In fact, I, I used to grow up feeling like my parents are way too hard on me. And my parents go to Lifehouse, so 
Hey, mom and, you know, mom and dad, <laughs> shout out to you. I, I used to think that my parents were way too hard on me, on me and my brothers. I mean, I, I grew up back in the day, you know, when you, you didn't just get like a correction. My parents were not the kind of parents that just gave you a verbal correction. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got it every day. I felt like for like 10, 12 years straight. And, and I got hard. And, and that's why I'm up here. <laughs> um, here. Here's the deal. I used to think it was so undeserved. It was so unfair. I have three boys. And I think I deserved every single one I got. And I probably should have gotten more. And, uh, you know, because at some point you're looking, you're like, yep, I, I, got, I deserve that. And so the, here's what I'm getting at. We, we've given people a reason to judge and condemn us. The church has given people reason to feel like they're judge, you know, like, like the church has been judgmental. And so now what do we do? Let, let me shift to um, tell you a quick story. Kind of let you off the hook here because some of you are like holding your breath like, what is Patrick going to say next? So Laura and I had the, a privilege of going to Israel. And um, we, we were touring through Israel kind of like in this pastor's group. And you know me, I'm going to jog everywhere I go. And so I jogged through Nazareth. I jogged around uh, part of the Sea of Galilee. I got a chance to, so uh, uh, forget this uh, city there that we were in, but uh, we got to Jerusalem. And that that day when we got in, I mean, we got to the hotel, we set up and everything, and I went for my jog. And interestingly, as you drive through Israel, there are massive walls everywhere. It's a narrow country. And the countries on both sides want to kill them. And so they have big walls to protect them from suicide bombers and missiles coming from either side, right? And, uh, and so when you jog through Jerusalem, you, you jog into the, so there, there's the big city, and then you jog into the old city that is a massive, well, not massive. It's a small but very high-walled city. And it's broken into four quarters, the Armenian, the Christian, the Jewish, and the uh, Muslim quarters. And as you're jogging through these narrow little corridor streets, uh, it's really clear as you go through the different quarters. Again, it's walled, it's guarded. In fact, as I was approaching the old city, there was all these armed uh, soldiers there. I didn't even know if you could get in. And so I ran up to them, and here I am like sweating in my gym shorts and everything. I was like, hey, uh, can, I, can I go in? They're like, oh yeah, absolutely. And I was like, okay, don't shoot me. You know? um, and, and, and then... Uh, we, we, we want to go to Bethlehem, so the, the, our bus tour, uh, we left Jerusalem, drove down, and as you're driving, you're getting to the narrower and narrower part of, this, of, of Israel, and I mean, you just see walls and massive barriers everywhere, and then as you're approaching uh, the national border, right, so to get into Bethlehem, you have to actually cross into the Palestinian Authority, and uh, there, there are barbed, multiple layers of barbed wire fences as you approach with mul- several military checkpoints, and uh, you get to the, the main military checkpoint, and our guide had to get off the bus uh, because he's an uh, Israeli citizen. And there's these big signs in like four different languages that say um, something to the effect of like, no Israeli citizens allowed past this point. Uh, it w- will result in death and it's illegal. Okay, take your poison. It's illegal or you're gonna die. But uh, so they had to get off. We crossed, the bar- we crossed uh, into the Palestinian Authority and then a, a Muslim guide got on the bus because you can't, they, you know, like a, an Israeli citizen can't cross over, so we had to get a new God. We go into, into Bethlehem, and again, walls and barriers, and I had this thought of like, man, this is what happens when you live in a culture where you got people groups out to get each other. And yet, we might not live with military checkpoints everywhere, 
and massive walls sectioning off different parts of our city. But boy, we've got big walls, don't we? We got, we got military checkpoints on social media. We got, we got barbed wire fences around politics. Barbed wire fences around different controversial issues where, boy, you get, you get anywhere near that and there's signs getting posted. Like, you go there and you're gonna get it. And as a result, we live our life feeling judged and condemned and then we lob the, the words of condemnation and judgment at others. And so how should we, how should we respond to others? The apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church in Ephesus addressing this very issue, this idea of being outsiders and insiders. And he writes it this way. Let me, let me start off by reading it to you and then I'm gonna explain a little bit about what's going on in this passage we go to Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. So literally, if you, could t- if you could tell through this series, we're walking right through the first chapters of Ephesians. So last week, I, I did the first part of Ephesians chapter 2. Now I'm doing the second part. Because like this in verse 12. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. In essence, what he's saying is what you see in the physical is a manifestation of what's going on in the spiritual. It's right into the church of Ephesus where the apostle Paul was traveling around Asia and Europe. Here's a guy whose life was radically changed. He was one of the insiders. In fact, he was such an insider as as an elite Jewish leader that he was persecuting and hating on the Christians, having them arrested and killed. And then God radically gets a hold of his life. He becomes and converts to Christianity. So much so that he begins to use his business to start churches all across Asia and Europe. And one of them is church in Ephesus. But he's reaching a bunch of people who are pagan. And he says, you're the kind of people that were on the outside. Bear in mind that uh, when the Apostle Paul is writing, he's reminiscing on the fact that in the city of Jerusalem, you have the temple, and in the temple, you have all kinds of walls. You have sections in the temple. Uh, In fact, the furthest point out is called the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles would be a pejorative term for anybody who's not Jewish. And so they were only allowed to be far away from the temple. Remember, the temple is where there's worship and sacrifice and where the presence of God is. And so he goes, basically, all you pagans, you just get a look from a distance. By the way, if you're wondering, all of us, unless you are Jewish, of, have Jewish ancestry, you and I, we're all Gentiles. We're all the pagans on the outside looking in. He goes, that's how you were. You were foreigners and aliens. You were outsiders to the insider relationship with God. He goes, but I want you to know something. But now, he shifts. He goes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility. He said there was a time when there were barbed wire fences and there were military checkpoints and there were massive walls as barriers of hostility, meaning people were, suicide bombers were trying to get through to blow things up and destroy relationships. He goes, but Jesus, Jesus broke through those barriers to take divided people and make them one. The key 
The Apostle Paul had just been writing in the first part of, of Ephesians chapter two this. He goes, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So what's the point he's getting at now? He goes, remember, every one of you were rescued by God through his good, generous riches, his grace. Now it's because of Jesus that all those dividing walls of hostility have been broken. What's his point? Give the grace you've been given. There it is. Some of y'all should be writing that down. You should at the very least pull out your smartphone and start typing that in. Maybe you turn that into a little post. Put it on like a little, little image and put that up on your social media. Give the grace you've been given. Remembering that you and I don't deserve grace. No, what do we deserve? We deserved walls of hostility. Remember? We probably deserve some of the judgment we're getting. Maybe not all of it, but probably a good bit of it. You know, like when you get pulled over and get a speeding ticket, you know what they said? You probably sped 200 times for the one speeding ticket you got. So you probably had it coming. Even if you weren't speeding in that moment, hey, look, stop arguing with the police officers, right? Like if you got pulled over and you were speeding, it's like, yep, he caught me. This is the one out of 200. And that's the point of this, right? Whatever judgment we're getting, we probably deserve. But it's not just between us and each other. It's, it's between me and God. There's a wall of hostility between me and God. Why? Because there's this deep inner spiritual force called sin at work in me, meaning my desires are disordered. Oh, and so are yours. Meaning there is a spiritual bent in you and me against God. And because the moment we turn bent against God because of sin, there's a wall of hostility between us and God. We're the one that put it up. We're the one that put the military checkpoint in place. In fact, you and I can create such walls of hostility that we believe God doesn't even exist. Like, you're, you're, you're nothing to me. And we live our lives driven by sin with a wall of hostility protecting us from God. And the end result of a life spiritually driven by sin is eternal judgment, eternal death. But God... Listen to what Paul says. It goes like this. This is verse 15. He says, By, how, how did God do this? By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. It's like this. You know what God did? He took, in essence, he took all of the, the judgment lobs, all of the angry remarks, all of the hate, all of the hurt, and he put it on himself. He goes, if you're going to attack anyone, take it out on me. Some of it's deserved. Good. Then I'll absorb all of the deserved judgment. In another pa passage, it says, he who knew no sin became sin for us. In essence, Jesus, who deserved no judgment, took on our judgment. Everything you think someone else deserves, Jesus said, give it to me. Everything you think you deserve, Jesus says, yeah, I'll take that too. So he absorbed the hostilities. He took on our sin judgment. He died in our place. So that anyone who believes in Jesus by faith 
is forgiven. But Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead. And in his supernatural, miraculous, and physical resurrection from the dead, he conquered shame. He became victorious over guilt. He, he gave us victory through eternal life. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven and given new and forever life. When you believe in Jesus, God's spirit comes into your spirit and this new eternal life is now living in you even if your physical body is in the process of decay, which by the way, all of ours is. There's a new spiritual life living in you and that can only happen through faith in Jesus and the apostle Paul is saying that's the beginning point. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. So wait, let's call a time out here. Before we think about how we relate to others, let's make sure first our relationship with God is right. If right now you need to begin by a new relationship with Jesus, can I encourage you? It's through faith that you receive grace, God's rich love, his rich forgiveness and eternal life. And if that's where you're at, would you just simply say yes to Jesus by faith to receive God's grace, this rich salvation that he wants for you. And if you're ready to make that commitment, all you do is say yes, yes to God. You can, you can take a moment and pray. You don't need us to lead you in prayer. You can make, it's a deeply personal commitment. But would you let us know let someone know. In fact, you can let us know by scanning the QR code, whether you're joining us here in person or you're online, a QR code's gonna come up. Go ahead and scan that. Fill out the form, and when you fill it out, one of our pastors, I think, Pastor Spencer uh, at our Hagerstown campus, Amanda, one of our other leaders, is gonna follow up online, and we wanna encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. Now you've said yes to Jesus. Whether you just said yes to Jesus right now or you've been following Jesus for a long period of time, what does this look like in your life? Let me give you the quick recap of where we've been so far. Because you and I have, we become like what we love and we have disordered desires. When we believe in Jesus by faith, our love is aimed toward him and we become like what we love. The key in your life to the things that are not right is not trying really hard to get rid of those things, although we can, we can get help and accountability and support, but really it's about falling more in love with Jesus. And what you discover is that as you fall more in love with Jesus, those things that aren't right in you will fall away. And then the second thing you discover about grace is this, that we are not just saved by grace, but that we don't have to carry the judgment that we thought we deserved. So last week when I spoke, I shared about the idea of not receiving the judgment you do deserve, right? That's mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And one of the challenges I gave you was don't, let, don't absorb judgment from others that God has removed from you. If God isn't judging you for it, boy, don't let others make you feel condemned and judged. And then I said also, but this is a rich grace, meaning now you receive gifts from God that you didn't deserve, that because you're saved by grace, God wants to lavish his goodness. He wants to lavish his love in your life. And so you've received this grace. Let me, let me give you this now. Every gift that God gives you in grace is a gift to be shared, not hoarded. You become conduits of grace. The Apostle Paul continues. He says this, he came and preached peace 
to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we have both, we both have access to the same, to the father by one spirit. What he's getting at is this. For those that were on the outside looking in, grace. To those who are already on the inside of faith, grace. Meaning God is at work to bring it from divided people, one family. What's the lesson here? Only judge others the way God judges you. Oh, pause. You probably should type that in. I, need, I should be careful to only judge others the way God judges you. Now, some of you, you, you grew up with a mentality that God is very judgmental. He's out to crush you. And so you have no problem thinking, that's fine, then I can dish out what I've been given. Hold up. Let me give you a recap. How does God judge you? Well, let's be clear. Does God just remove the perfect standard? No. No, it's pretty clear. God does hold you to a perfect standard. God holds me to a perfect standard. The lesson is that God is not going to compromise on the convictions and the commands. You and I, the standard is perfection. What do we realize in the process? That none of us are good enough. None of us deserve heaven. So what does God have to do? God had to come from heaven to earth to pay the price because none of us were good enough to save ourselves. So if we're going to judge others, we're allowed to hold to high standards. You can hold to the convictions of God as outlined in the Bible. You can say, this is what is expected. This is what we should be. This is what we're supposed to be. This is how we should live. Absolutely while fully understanding that neither you nor I are good enough. That it's not just the other person that doesn't meet that standard. It's every one of us that don't meet that standard. And so as a result, does that mean we have no standards? Not at all. We have perfect standards from God, understanding that no one's good enough. Everyone needs grace. Every one of us have fallen short of God's perfect standard and our deserving judgment. So what we need is the good news of God's love to come and rescue us. So now when you're thinking about judging others, what does that mean? It means I can hold to a perfect high standard of God, understanding that no one's good enough. Everyone falls short of that perfect standard of God. And what every person needs is the gospel of God, the good news of God's love, and they need the grace of God. They need to receive the same grace I've been given. And as a result, then when I look around and before I lob judgment at others, here's what I know. I can passionately hold to my convictions while compassionately sharing God's love. Did you catch that? You see, you see the balance there, right? And then it's a caution against hypocrisy so that I am not demanding of others a standard that I am not willing to live up to. Because if, if we don't acknowledge that we need the same grace that others need, we're hypocrites. It would be hypocritical of me to, to tell you what you need to do while denying that I need the same gospel. No, the, the, authentic, the authenticity of the message of Christ is that every one of us come equally broken, equally in need to Jesus. So let me, let me add one more layer to this then. And when I think about the idea of not judging others or judging others only the way God judges us, oftentimes we can invoke our faith and our standards and weaponize it against others. Sometimes that's what drives prejudices and hate. 
Sometimes some of the marginalizing views that people have, the isms that are in our society. Be careful not to leverage your belief in God against someone else, believing that God can't, God won't with them. Or believing, clearly, if you're like them, there's no way you can love God. Sometimes I have been amazed at the people I've met that I, in my own thoughts, was determined there's no way that person believes in Jesus. And then you get to know them and you find out, wow, they have a deep personal relationship with God and they see the world differently than I do. And what, I, what I've discovered, and by the way, this isn't me just saying we have no standards. It means that I, I'm willing to allow, I'm gonna make sure that I don't judge others any more than the way God is judging them or me. Hold to the standards of God. And what that does then is I make sure, here's, here's what that point gets to. We, we live in a culture that divides communities. Don't let them divide the church. Don't let the same attitudes and hate and hurt that stirs and destroys our culture stir and divide Christians in the church. We were meant to be one. Because we understand the only reason why we're here is because the grace of God. Let, let me read a little bit. Let me go back and read a verse to you again. <laughs> His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Where there was previously walls of hostility, barbed wire barriers, military checkpoints dividing one group from the other, Jesus came to bring groups together, not just by laying down their convictions and saying, oh, that stuff doesn't matter. No, by saying we are one together in Jesus. What unites us is our faith in Jesus Christ. It was like this, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In essence, he's saying the church, the family of God, is not a building to be lived, it's not a building to come into. This building is not the church. Let's be very clear. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, a, he's not really referencing a building at all, so let's, let's connect the dots. A building, this place is not at all a church. This is a tool where the church gathers. You are the church. You're the blocks. And which means, right, imagine a building, right, a physical building isn't a building if all the bricks are spread out all over the parking lot, are they? No, you gotta bring them together and there's gotta be mortar that holds those bricks together. The mortar of God's good news, the mortar of his grace is what causes us to stick together. And as we stick together in forgiveness and grace and the goodness of the gospel of God, then the building of the church is built up and we become one family, one building united through faith in Jesus Christ. So what is he getting at here? Show the same grace God shows you. Go ahead, you can make a note of that. Show the same grace God shows you. In essence, what fills, spills. 
God has been lavishing his love on you. God has been pouring his grace into your life. Show it. Within Lifehouse, what does this look like? You know, every once in a while, somebody will come to me and they'll say something like, Patrick, when are you going to preach on this topic? And often, and it's not that I don't think anybody has ill intent, but sometimes I think what people are seeing is they, they see an issue in our society and they want me to preach at it, to tell those people, you need to change. And there are times when it's appropriate to outline from God's word, God's standards. But what I know is this, what people need is Jesus. Please hear me. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that changes lives. What people need to know is that God loves them, God is for them, God forgives them. You know what I have found? Very rarely does anyone need to be told what they're doing wrong so they feel more guilty for it. Now you might not agree with that, especially if you got three little boys. Because sometimes they do things that are wrong and you don't really think that they feel bad about it. So I have to make them feel bad about it. But here's the deal. Everything that is sin carries a natural consequence. It invokes shame. It invokes judgment. It brings natural consequences. So whether someone denies it or not, I mean, whether they know they're sinning, I mean, whether they like say, oh, I know this is wrong, it doesn't matter. You do wrong things and you experience bad consequences. So people carry shame. They carry guilt. They carry condemnation, whether we say it or not. What people need, those on the other side of the wall hostility need, is God's grace expressed through the gospel of Jesus. Every person you'll ever meet falls into one of two categories. They're either part of the family of God, and if they're part of the family of God, you should throw your arms open wide to them and, and welcome them into your life as a brother or sister in Christ. You say, welcome home. We're part of the same family. Or they're on the outside looking in and they should be part of the family of God. So I'm one of two groups. And if they're on the outside looking in, you throw your arms open wide and say, I want you to be a brother or sister in Christ. Welcome home. You don't lock the door, double bolt it. You know, like you're like Laura and I, because we're from New York. We have four locks on our door. You don't do that in your relationships with each other. Welcome home. So let's be careful that we, we give and show the grace that's been shown us by God. Live out showing the grace God is showing you. And so let me give one more little nugget. The church does not need to get caught in the trap of the world around us lobbing back judgment lobbing back labels, lobbing back at others' condemnation. Do you know that we are the only ones that have the capacity to forgive? Anybody who else who, who is forgiving, they're mimicking us. Christianity is unique because we have the gospel of Jesus that gives us the gift of forgiveness. We're the only ones that have the power of grace and the good news of God's love. And so you have something unique among your peer group, in your workplace, in our community and culture. We're the ones gifted by God with good news, 
with grace. So rather than us hanging posters on the door, listing all the things that we're against, all of the sins that we oppose, here's the deal. You wanna know? You wanna know where the church stands? Read it. It's not vague. It's really clear. Lifehouse holds to a, a traditional orthodox view of the word of God. Our standards, our views of life and living come straight from the word of God. When I preach, I preach straight from the word of God. If you're not sure, just go ahead and read it. It's really clear. However, what I know that runs as a thread from Genesis to Revelation is a story of God pursuing fallen mankind. And no one's good enough. No one deserves it. God is a generous God who throughout all of history was chasing you down to lavish his love on you. And then when he gives it to you, he just wants to pour it through you. Let's be careful that we are the strongest, boldest, loudest, most courageous group of loving people that could possibly exist. Because it's not our love, but God's love. It's not our grace, but God's grace that pours through us. I hope that at the very least, you're gonna finish hearing this sermon and go, ooh, I have some things that I need to pray about. I have some things that I need to grow in. Me too. This one was hard. It was like, as I was preparing, I was like, I gotta live this. So, can we just quiet ourselves for a moment? Right now, would you just close your eyes? You're joining us online, close your eyes for a moment. Can we allow God's Holy Spirit to just speak to our hearts? How do you need to give the grace you've been given? Only judge the way God is judging you. Show the grace that God is showing you. We believe that God's spirit is at work. As people gather together in faith, God's presence is here. What I hope is that you listen to God's Holy Spirit because he wants to speak to you. He wants to challenge you, convict you. He wants to guide you and prompt you. Would you allow me to pray? Heavenly Father, Thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who, when we were against you with walls of hostility high against you, Jesus didn't just scale the walls. He was born into our culture and our community. He lived the perfect man to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for our sin and judgment, to give us forgiveness and new life. And we receive that. God, help us to be as generous toward others with your love and your forgiveness as you've been toward us. May the church be the brightest light of your goodness and love in our culture, in our community, in our city, in our neighborhoods. In Jesus' name, amen. Please don't just quickly move on from this moment thinking about where you're gonna eat or what you're gonna do next. First, we're going to sing. And part of that is, as I'm, I'm going to invite you to stand with me, we're going to sing about grace, about the good grace of God that fills 
and spills. Would you join us as we sing? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.